G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. On Vision Christian Radio, Neil with you on this Tuesday edition of 2020. Hey, we're living in a time of rapid cultural change when Christian views are often seen as outdated and really even dangerous. Well, this can leave us feeling a little anxious sometimes about how we live out what we believe and a little uncertain about the future of what's happening with our family, what's happening with our church. Well, well well-known author Stephen McAlpine has a new book in which he explores where things are heading. Stephen McAlpine's new book is called Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. Stephen McAlpine is an award-winning Christian author, pastor and national commentator for City Bible Forum, and he is joining us. Hey, Stephen, welcome along to 2020. Oh, it's great to be with you, Neil, uh, across the miles. Yeah, and thanks for that. Um, the plug about the book. It's uh, It's been interesting writing a book that's the, uh, where are we going from here? It's uh, the question everyone's asking, I think. And, you know, sometimes people give them, you know, sometimes it's a, a self-issued title of futurist, <laughs> someone who's predicting what's happening into the future. And in some sense, uh, that's difficult, and for some that's a little bit... Uh, there's some science involved, uh, but there's also this sort of a sweeping flow of history uh, where you get to sort of predict where things are heading. Is this something you you know you put, your, put yourself in that category? You, you know, you're looking into the future saying, how do we navigate the way forward? Yeah, look, uh, for me it is about that. From a Christian perspective and a historical perspective, where are the big trends? I don't think you can go into here's what 2029 is going to look like and here's where you should put your money. Uh, the cautionary tale being the uh, the uh, New York Times um, IT editor who said there will be no such thing as an iPhone in 2008, in 2008 and here we are. Uh, so what I'm saying is that you can see trends where things are going and the culture is very anxious that although we know where things are going, things rapid discontinuous changes what's happening big events sort of take us by surprise and derail us like wars and pandemics and things like that some of those things are unpredictable and others might say well there is prediction and some people take great great pride in uh, in making all sorts of predictions and if something comes true then all of a sudden they're a hero um, but you like to contrast where these secularized trends are heading and the contrast being with, you know, how does that compare with the timeless wisdom of the Scripture? So helping Christians to navigate the way forward, uh, what have you been noting so far as some of these secularized trends and uh, what the differences are from a biblical stance? Well, that's interesting because the future-proof issue is to do with we know where history is heading. If we're, if we're Christian, we understand where Jesus is taking us. Uh, the cross and resurrection changes everything. But if you don't have that framework, and that's fallen away in the Western world quite a lot, you kind of pitch big pictures of where we're headed uh, culturally. We're we're headed down a technological future that's going to give us hope, or we're heading down a place where we sort out our climate that's going to give us hope, or we're heading down a place where you do you and you can be the best you you want to be any way you want to be, and that's your future. 
But underneath all of that, there's a lot of anxiety that no matter how hard we pull the levers, things aren't working the way we want it to work. The fact is, even you read in the papers the last few days, the levels of anxiety and the levels of days that young people are missing from work due to anxiety is going through the roof. There's something about the big picture stories we're painting outside of the gospel that aren't delivering. And that's what I write about. So the anxiety, um, we ought to be thinking that Christians might be a little immune to the anxiety if we're trusting in those things that are timeless, that are coming from God's word. Uh, so when you mention things like, uh, you know, the future and technological developments, uh, artificial intelligence, there's some people are a little anxious about that. Uh, the climate issues uh, and identity um, undergirded by anxiety. So if we're actually applying a biblical view to this sort of anxiety, how do you, how do you actually make sure that you're in a good place and able to face up to the, the pressures? Well, yeah, look, I don't think it's that there aren't things to be concerned about, and we want to speak into some of the concerns we see in our culture. But having a sense that there's a bigger picture uh, for Christians, especially the church as it goes forward, is to say, look, things are going to come our way, but we're not going to be angry about them. That's one key thing, I think. You see a lot of anger in the culture, and that's probably anxiety expressed in a hot way. And then you see a lot of depression in our culture, and that's anxiety depressed in an, uh, expressed in an internal way. And the Bible gives us a framework of saying, look, even in difficult times, even the difficult times are God's ways of shaping his people towards the future that he's bringing them to. Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't get anxious, but we can be the non-anxious presence. Mark Sayers, an Australian pastor, uses that term to show people that there is hope promising because it's not delivering. I think we can say that fairly, fairly clearly now. So we're being swept along by some secular narratives and uh, one of those, I guess, comes around money, finance, wealth and uh, where we're putting our trust uh, in those things and perhaps rather than trusting in God, is this one of the key issues that, uh, you know, that Christians need to be mindful of? Well, in the West, especially for uh, evangelical Christians, I think what we have is a blind spot about wealth. Uh, we sort of have all these other bogeyman ideas that are bad in the culture. But the bracket creep of wealth, of seeing it as our security, is something that Christians have to take seriously and say, what if the next generation of Christians isn't better off than the previous generation? Part of the narrative in our culture is that every generation gets better off. What if that's not true? Well, that's because... Those aren't things we should trust in. But it says in the Bible that uh, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, the lure of wealth is something that draws us in slowly. It's the old frog in the, in the boiling water. You know, if you raise the temperature, you don't think realise how much you have. And we see that in conversation. all the conversations are about house prices or about uh, super funds or all these things. And Christians need to be wise in how they use money. But it's not our hope. And I think that's probably key, that Christians will become seen very differently to people who have their hope in things, including wealth. Australia is a very wealthy place, yet we're always anxious about money. It's a key difference, I think, that Christians can show. So for our future, this is actually quite a significant point of vulnerability for Christians. And I imagine you've got to keep on top of this. Uh, because the society, the secularized view of the world, the things that we get swept along with, these secular narratives, uh, they're very powerful and they can tend to overtake us. So um, there's a sense here in which if you're getting wealthy, you feel blessed by God. 
But if you are not getting wealthy and things are going bad and, uh, you know, you're finding it hard to meet your uh, financial responsibilities, then somehow you're not under the blessing of God. How do you make sense of of all of that? Because it's sort of a natural thing, isn't it, that you think that uh, if things are going good, then I must be under God's blessing. Yeah, well, it was a natural thing in Job's day, too, that his friends thought that he was uh, sinning, clearly, because he wasn't uh, pulling the right, he was pulling all the levers of, I'm doing the right thing, and it wasn't happening. And so they said, well, there must be some secret sin or something you've done wrong. And Jesus kind of breaks that nexus between the money and uh, uh, wealth and whether you're godly or not, <laughs> or whether you're doing well in, in God's eyes. And so he says to the wealthy, uh, don't be proud, don't be arrogant, but be generous. And I think that's the thing that we had to look at wealth. As we look, down the, as we look around history at the Christian church, it's in the places where there wasn't a lot of wealth. You see a lot of Christians and uh, wealth is a good thing to use well, uh, but when we lack generosity as Christians, we're sort of living as if those things are our security. And I know I write a lot about identity and all those things as well, but I think that wealth, wealth thing, it's, it, it creeps up on us in ways that we don't understand. We become very anxious about money, interest rates, all these sorts of things, where I'm going to send the kids to school, all, you know, costs of living and things like that. The Christian has the opportunity to show to their non-Christian friends that my hope isn't in that. That's important, isn't it? Because sometimes we think if I'm not doing so well and, um, you know, even like in a biblical way, you know, the evil are prospering, uh, somehow or other putting your faith in the wealth uh, is going to come a cropper somewhere down the track because people will discover that the wealth isn't all they thought it would be is there actually opportunity in the in our Christian faith to be there, perhaps at the bottom of the cliff? Uh, maybe you want to be the fence at the top of the cliff and uh, help people stop falling off. But at the bottom of the cliff, is there an opportunity there uh, that will come because you've understood these godly principles? Yeah, look, I think when I wrote my book, I said understanding the culture and where it's going and understanding how God has put the world together uh, how we use our wealth, how we use our bodies, how we use other people, though that we don't use other people. All these things are godly wisdom that as the culture breaks away from the Christian frame and understanding any hope in the gospel, uh, even if it's you know under the surface, a Christianized culture, it gives us the opportunity to show uh, the world what a, what a true community can look like, uh, whether it's good times or bad. When, you, when it's good times, you're generous. When it's bad times, you, you're trusting at the same level as when it was good times. And I think those are key things for Christians to get, that they can show uh, the culture that's very wealthy at times, but very anxious, what it looks like to be content with a lot and be content with very little, as Paul would say. And I imagine that as Australia feels and looks a whole lot less Christianized. Uh, that we're headed down a direction here that as a Christian believer, you want to have those things that are going to hold you together uh, when times are good and when times are not so good when it comes around our wealth. Hey, there's another thing you like to touch on too, and that is, you mentioned it, identity and uh, the idea that people look to the inner self uh, to uh, express that personal a selfness rather than have their identity in God. How do you describe that in your new book? Yeah, look, it's interesting. It's the you do you culture, I think, of uh, if you can find out who you truly are on the inside and express that to the world, no one should be able to challenge you on that. 
And every, I mean, you know, we've just had Taylor Swift in Australia and uh, she gave the commencement address at New York University in 2022 and she said, scary news is you're on your own now, cool news is you're on your own now. You go, well, what, is it the best of times or the worst of times when it's all on you? And the thing about it all being on you is that when it, when it works, it's fantastic. And when it doesn't work, <laughs> it's devastating. There's a lot of pressure on your personal identity that somehow it's up to you to determine who you are. That's very different to the past, but also very different to other parts of the world where we say we're not defined primarily by who I think I am, but who I am in terms of relationship and community. And once you take those things out, you get a very, very atomized person who's sort of drifting. And then we check in when we want and we check out when we want. And it leaves a very, yeah, it leaves a culture that's increasingly lonely. And yet it's interesting that the Western world, for all the connectivity we have in technology, is increasingly lonely. Big issue. And does that say something about the positive effect of just going along and being a part of your local church? Because there is a community of believers, and in some sense, you may be called on to help to serve or to help to serve the people who are in need in your community. Does that break you out of the sort of self-centeredness? Is it a natural way of, or maybe something practical that you can do to help to re- to relieve that self-centeredness? Yeah, well, we are shaped by the things we do. So what I'm saying in the book, uh, we've thought about how to do church for 20 or 30 years in different ways. One of the things I'm saying is just show up week in, week out. Uh, If you're an adult with kids, a parent, show up with your kids because it's saying something. And it doesn't mean to say that it's all going to tick every box for you in your personality. The body of Christ is critical uh, to the Bible. There's no sort of autonomous self living independent of other people and the body language and the building language that the bible uses to describe the church is critical and if christians are saying well i can pick and choose which week i turn up and i can pick and choose which congregation i go to depending on the sports event or the party i went to or whatever you'll thin your community down really quickly and that that just ends up being a consumer option for church rather than we want to be part of a body uh, I think that's critical going forward. So the attitude we have going to church, not just as a consumer, but someone who helps to contribute to what the body of related believers who live in community and share one another's burdens. Uh, just, But let me just take you into the deep end here for a moment. Uh, what do you say to that person who says, look, I've been going to church for a long time. I've decided I don't like it anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. the the priest or the pastor right now, you know, they just rub me up the wrong way. Or the people in church, you know, some I'm I'm noticing some hypocrisy. Or uh, there's all sorts of things and excuses that perhaps I can use for not going to church. What do you say to people who are sort of outside of that church community, doing things on their own by themselves? The self is the focus. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I want to differentiate between someone who's selfish and someone who's been burned, I think. You'd want to be careful about that. And I've had a bit of an experience of, you know, burning in church and, you know, you've been in church long enough, that happens. Well, I I would want to say that if you can find a cohort within church where, you know, no church is going to be perfect, you've got to find a place where there are people who will say, uh, you don't do it, we've got your back. And And I think that we underestimate how many people look at church and I've got friends who are not Christian who look at church during the pandemic and said, well, I envy you, said one of them. Uh, the way you do community life compared to how we do it is, is remarkable. And 
she understood that even though we were broken and, and we have all these issues, there was something that held us together. And I said to her, I think it's the gospel at the centre and I think it's the issue of forgiveness, that in community we can do costly forgiveness of each other. We can live transparent lives before each other and lean into the forgiveness that we've been given in Christ. I would church over the next 30 years is going to have to work out how to do community better than it currently is uh, and thicker and deeper and richer because the rest of our communities are starting to fracture a big time. So this secularization, it's leading to fracturing. And if you've got an opportunity to connect with a community that's being inviting as much as they can, and of course they're going to have their weaknesses, but they're being inviting you shouldn't underestimate the value of that because that is going to be something that can sustain you through some very tough times as they come upon you. Hey, Stephen, we have run out of time today, but look, I'm looking forward to getting together a little more often than we have in the past. And uh, Stephen McAlpine, he's got a new book out. It's called Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. And as you can hear, he's full of overflowing wisdom. Stephen McAlpine's an award-winning Christian author, pastor, and national commentator for City Bible Forum. You can connect with Stephen at stephenmcalpine.com, and you can read loads of fabulous articles on his website, stephenmcalpine.com. Uh, you can also connect with Stephen at citybibleforum.org. Stephen, thanks so much for a great insight today into your new book and uh, for being with us on 2020. Great to be with you, Neil. Thanks very much. Looking forward to it again in the future. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.